When I dream of Curaçao, I'm dreaming of soft white sands and crystal clear waters. I see the coves and the cliffs and feel the wind pull through my hair. I imagine what it would be to dive, to go snorkeling and see the wreck of an old tugboat and so many tropical fish. There's a human story here, buried now beneath these waves, intermingled with marine life in such bountiful variety I can barely begin to comprehend. I'm walking now along an old bridge from the 1900s into a historic neighborhood where pastel buildings line the street in turquoise, banana yellow, baby pink, and lavender, their bright orange roofs reflecting the hot sun. This is a site where many cultures have come together. They've clashed and they've exchanged and trade. And as I now pass along these streets, I wonder what positive contribution I can bring to this exchange. I stop to eat cactus soup and salted pork tails. Is that someone next to me eating iguana? I seek out the distillery to become immersed in history and chemistry because I've always been fascinated by that striking blue Curaçao liqueur. As the sun sets, I'm now cruising past Caribbean lagoons, looking out for dolphins, turtles, and maybe flying fish. I wonder what else I might discover along this coastline tomorrow. This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Can travel be not just vacation, but an integral part of your everyday work routine? That's the question we're exploring on this, the very first A Trip That Changed Me episode of the Travel Wise Show. I'm your host, Joya, and today I want to take you through a conversation that I had with two very good friends of mine, Ash and Maritza, who are also facilitators of our upcoming Flow Book Club that you can get involved with as part of this Travel Wise show. And what I love about this conversation is that Ash and Maritza take us through two very different stories that circle around this same theme, which I think holds so much promise and potential for all of us as we are coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. This pandemic showed us that so many of us had the opportunity to work from home. And what this means for the future is that we can work from 
wherever. Which means there is potential for us to incorporate travel into our normal, quote, everyday work routines in ways that can enhance our productivity and lead to a much more flourishing life. This show aims to speak to growth-hungry entrepreneurs, but I know from my own experience that for many people, the route into entrepreneurship starts with a side hustle. It starts with you perhaps having to hold down a more traditional nine to five kind of position. And even if that's you, there is now perhaps potential to think about incorporating travel into your work routine in new ways. But I want you to hear it from both Ash and Maritza, who have two very different stories. Ash taking what might be considered the more typical digital nomad route of transforming his work life into becoming an author and writer, traveling around from location to location. And Maritza, who still has an office job, but now that she can work from wherever, is able to incorporate her daily work routine with this trip to Curacao. But before we get into their story, I even just want you to hear some of their first impressions of Curacao. Admittedly, Curacao was a place that I had never considered for my bucket list, but after talking with them, I think I'm definitely going to add it. I've never <laughs> visited the Caribbean before. The most sort of tropical island I've been to before was Hawaii, and that was many years ago. My first impression of Curacao is uh, it's actually, you know, it's more arid than I expected. It's not as green, although that's a little misleading because there is abundant, abundant greenery. But it's there's like a lot of cactus, cacti, more deserty. Like so, I guess you know, it's a desert island. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really beautiful. There's just lots and lots of flora and fauna, and lots of really interesting, unique wildlife and, and plant life, which Maritza I'm sure can, can mm -hmm. elaborate on. So yeah. I've been to many different Caribbean islands, and this one is. It is very green, but it's green in a different way. Like, I will say this is the first time I've ever been on an island and seen so many cacti. And not just cacti, like mutant cacti. These cacti are trees with tree trunks. And it's crazy. And then they also have a bunch of different types and varieties of plants. Like they're just a cost of passion flower. And passion flower is a very finicky plant that doesn't necessarily grow very easily anywhere you have to cultivate it and it's it's finicky to grow it's finicky to get flowers and but it's a it's a great medicinal flower so that was super cool to see yeah the flowers actually only blossom for a couple hours in the morning that's yes. it so it's mm. interesting and just to, yeah to go back to the cacti uh you know and, there, and there's definitely a lot of other examples of this too but you know so i'm here working on or trying to work on this book on evolutionary theory and what uh, Maritza mentioned about the, you know, how they're like these cactus trees and they have like these tree trunks at the bottom before they, you know, branch out into like all these huge cactus, cacti, right? So it's it's like a perfect example of convergent evolution where, you know, obviously the, the cacti are a completely different evolutionary lineage than, you know, normal trees that we think of, but it's evolved the same adaptation of this thick woody trunk, you know, with bark and everything too, in order to support the weight of the size that they grow to. 
which is uh, really kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah. And they flower. They put out these, like, one of them put out, was putting out this giant showy white flower. And then the other ones have smaller, less showy red ones. But still, it's really, really neat to see. There's, they, there's also a plant that I haven't yet figured out how to name it because I, I don't know what it is yet, but it looks like it's in the cabbage family. And um, yeah, I tried tasting it, which I don't actually recommend because it was terrible. It does Ooh. not taste like anything whatsoever. In fact, I'm not convinced it's edible, but I didn't die, so I guess that's good. <laughs> there are apparently some plants here that can kill you. <laughs> Maybe will not scare people. Um, yeah, the moral of the story is don't do like me and put random plants in your mouth. No, but there's just all kinds of stuff. Like in our yard at the Airbnb we're staying at, there's, you want to talk about the tamarindo? Oh, yes. So I don't know if you are familiar with what a tamarind tree is. Um, you know, the fruit, I don't know about the tree. you do find on the island. So it's a tree and it's very sticky fruit. And um, it's very, very common in Puerto Rico. So, but it's just so weird to see a tamarind tree right next to a cacti, a cactus, right? I can't envision that the two would grow symbiotically in the same soil, but they do. There are two, two big tamarind trees and at the base of them there's all these little small cacti just and they're all hanging out together it's crazy yeah but we so we harvested some of the fruit from the tree and uh, maritza made us some uh, agua de tamarindo yes mm -hmm. like tamarind water technically it's juice but we call it tamarind water mm -hmm. and um you just take the uh the tamarind pods and you know you take them out you take the the inside fruit from the pod and you got to soak it in like hot water for many hours and then you can separate out the seed from the uh, fibrous material and the fibrous material is what you make the juice out of with uh, water and you, you add some honey or some sugar and then you just drink it because it's mostly water and so that's why we call it tamarind water mm -hmm. and it's delicious it's like very very refreshing slight tartness to it yeah i enjoyed it now that we've heard Ash and Maritza's first impressions of Curaçao, let's dive deeper into how this trip changed their thinking and approach to the integration of work and travel. So tell me about what it was like before the trip, about any assumptions you had about what work would be. Until last year, I had worked for a long time, for about 13 years, for the U.S. Postal Service. And I kept that job as long as I did because I needed the insurance benefits, my kind of chronic medical conditions that I was dealing with uh, since I graduated college. But, you know, I'd reached, I'd progressed to a point in my recovery that I didn't really need that anymore. And so I started, you know, thinking about other things I could do. And so I wanted to actually do a job that allowed me to travel more. And so I left the Postal Service and I actually started applying for jobs like with airlines and things. And I actually, you know, did an interview in Houston with one of the airlines and didn't get the job. But then immediately after that is, you know, COVID started and they all stopped hiring. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I did some other things for a little while. Eventually it occurred to me, I can just live off of my savings and I can do that from, you know, and I work on other things I want to do. I can write a book that I have this idea for. And I can do that from anywhere. I don't need to stay in Utah to do that. And in fact, I can potentially make money last longer in other places. And, you know, we 
into how the, the travel actually helps a lot, potentially with writing things also. But um, but yeah, just, you know, prior to that, I kind of, the, well, something for, for many people, myself included for most of my life is, you know, you, you live in one place and, you know, maybe you move occasionally to a new city or something, but the idea that you can just kind of live and work from anywhere and just kind of travel as a regular part of your life and not as just uh, you know an interlude um, that the, the travel is kind of at least for a period of your life can be just your your way of life and that you don't have to just stay in one place and <laughs> mm -hmm. um, for me it was a little different because I know a couple people for whom traveling is their way of life and you know mm -hmm. I have a girlfriend who traveling has been her way of life for the last 20 years and um, but my thing was I thought it couldn't be a way of life for me because mm -hmm. I thought well she has a sexy job she's the travel writer so naturally her way of life is traveling and she's also a writer so she does um you know she can do commissioned works and she doesn't always have to be tethered to the same location and I thought but yeah but somebody who does corporate finance you're kind of the same place and I've always wanted to travel to go here there and everywhere but I was like mm, you don't have the right job to conducive to that but um well first with COVID COVID was like the first stepping stone to realize that that wasn't quite true because the transition for us um, in, in my department to to uh, remote work was seamless. It was very easily done and we could do we could do all of our work without any having to be too much pain, right, of the transition. And then coming here solidified it even more because all those doubts or those, those like the, but not, me statements they all are proven false and it's so it's like gratifying to realize that and it does it makes it evident that there may be a future in which i can find a way to remain employed full time with a job in the states without being tethered to the states and that's like almost blind i mean it's like it's one thing to say that, but to be somewhere like this, where it's a different country, you know, you don't, you don't have access to, because I don't have access to, um, like my my phone. I don't have a phone service international, so I don't have that, and I'm so I'm reliant fully on Wi-Fi. But even mm -hmm. still, I've now learned that this is totally doable. This is something I can do, and I could probably make it work with my current job, which is not is only currently temporarily. Um, a remote but makes the desire to find a job that will allow me to be a hundred percent remote almost more of a priority for me because mm -hmm. my life can be traveling and working and I can I can make it work. I could ask just before we got here that this makes it clear that I could potentially do both. I can I can have my cake and eat it too. Yes. I think it's interesting that you know this this pandemic happened at a time where the technology had progressed to the point where it, it, it was just a lot more possible for, for more companies to allow more of their employees to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if there is sort of like a silver lining to this pandemic, it, it actually, in a way, it you know incentivized more companies to, to make that transition and to make it more possible for more of their employees to do that kind of remote work. And I've, you know, I've talked to people who, who've told me that, like, so I, I'm trying to remember who I was talking to. I think I was talking to somebody on one of my, my flow research collective group calls in one of the breakout rooms. And they were saying, and I was asking them about how the productivity was with the remote work. And they said that since their company switched to having all their employees work remotely, 
productivity actually increased uh, significantly. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really interesting. <laughs> Do you each want to say something about how traveling might actually help you be more productive in each of your different endeavors? Because it's a new place with all kinds of different things to explore, you are highly motivated to get your tasks that require done for the day done in more compressed time frame. So, for example, um, on Wednesday, I knew we were going to go out for lunch and we were going to the museum and have a nice lunch. It was only open till during daytime hours, like normal business hours till 4.30, so we had to go during our lunchtime. Right, we had to go during the day and I had some things I had to get done and I told myself, all right, I'm going to get these things and something that would have at home, I would have just moseyed about and taken the entire day to finish this task. Maybe, you know, 37 approvals I had to do. I just laser focus to get them done in a shorter amount of time so I can go out and now like explore this new land. There's more motivation when you're not at home base to do that. Yeah, you know, something that I think is going to be kind of a, a theme of this podcast is it also, you know, traveling and being in those uh, new environments is is really a flow trigger it, it uh, forces you to be more in the present moment because you can't rely as much on just being on autopilot and your usual routines and your usual surroundings mm -hmm. uh, you really have to be more aware <laughs> of where mm -hmm. you are and what you're doing and i think that's kind of the advantage of the digital nomad sort of lifestyle as well is that you know by the time you actually do get start getting settled into a new routine somewhere that's when you go somewhere else <laughs> so so it kind of continually refreshes that it's, it's sort of like you know sometimes you hear advice even you know for people that do just kind of live and work from one particular geographical location you know they'll say things like take a new route to work to to kind of break you out of your your normal routine and things like that and this is kind of like doing that sort of thing at an exponential level, you know, because it's everything. It's not just, you know, your commute is slightly different. So that we're painting a full picture here, can you say anything about downsides or difficulties that you've encountered or people would encounter trying to do what you've done? And how would you address that? Or how did you address it? I mean, there is a learning curve. <laughs> For sure, especially, so this is kind of my first uh, international destination on this journey around the world. And it does take you a while to figure out how to navigate the new countries, you know, with different languages. If you're not used to traveling on a really frequent basis, just all of the, the administrative stuff that that entails. So, so there are, you know, there are costs in terms of time and money to, to do this kind of thing. But if you do it, smart and you can learn to do it better as you go i think it actually can pay dividends in terms of you can potentially live more cheaply abroad than you can in the united states and if you are able to sort of cultivate more of that peak performance time in, in a sort of flow state uh, and like Maritza mentioned, you're, you know, being even just being more motivated to compress your work tasks into a shorter space of time so that you can take more advantage of your, uh, you know, travel destination, you actually can sort of create more time as well. Mm -hmm. For those who don't, I mean, traveling within the foreign land is, is, it could potentially be an issue. So for me, I'm hyper aware of that as somebody who, while I do have a license, I don't actually drive. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't gotten behind the wheel of cars in 10 years. So for me, I didn't have to worry about it here because Ash can drive. But if I had been making this trip by myself, that would have been a limiting factor.
although there is, you know, even in a fairly small place like Curaçao, um, that's still classified as like a developing country, even though it's kind of like in the, the mid to high income range for a developing country. They they have like public transportation. I, I figured that out the first you know couple of weeks that I was here before Maritza joined me. And it's not as extensive or reliable necessarily as as the public transportation you, you know we're used to in a lot of cities in the U.S. Maybe, but but you know like once you learn to navigate it you can get where you need to go um and it's actually you know it's it's inexpensive and it is actually fairly reliable it was just uh when i first arrived it was still uh Curacao was on a bit of a lockdown due to covid um because they had their first spike last month of cases like the, the first year of the, the, the pandemic they really didn't have hardly any covid here at all and then last month they had kind of their first spike so they they went on pretty restrictive lockdown so a lot of stuff was just shut down so that was something you know i had to kind of navigate around as well but you know it was nice to do that in a place where you know it, it was doable and so but i was able to learn kind of how to do that here in a place where it's relatively easy before i you know maybe go on to other places where it's not quite as easy so mm -hmm. so tell me about what you learned from this trip that you will now carry into your future travel and your future work plans. Yeah, those assumptions that I mentioned before about living and working in one place is just a normal thing to do. Those assumptions are just shattered. From now on, I, I mean, I guess at some point I may settle somewhere and have a sort of home base, but I'm definitely going to be spending a lot more of my time traveling regardless. And I'm probably never going to be going back to where I originally came from, except for to visit. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so yeah, and I, I've definitely learned a lot about, yeah, just like how to, how to navigate this, this new digital nomad kind of lifestyle in terms of even before the preparations to leave on the trip, you know, I had to get my entire life down to a couple of suitcases, right? Now I know how I can live out of a couple of suitcases and I can kind of go move from place to place and and each of those places I can explore and discover new things. And uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. What about for you, Marissa? Idea that traveling is not for a specific subset of people. I feel like being here is like a very sharp and stark, uh, like a glass of cold water in your face. Like, yeah, yeah, stop talking crap. You can do this too. And any, anything in my mind that tells me I can't, I now understand to be an excuse in a way that I didn't before. Even on the level of, you know, languages and things. So I love language. I've, you know, been studying a few languages for the last few years, you know, and I, and I studied a couple back in college and stuff. Um, but, you know, like some of the destinations I wanted to go to, uh, the primary language is not something that you would normally be able to easily study uh, you know, in the U.S. So here, the, uh, the kind of primary uh, spoken language is called Papiamento. And it's sort of a Creole, I think it's, I think it's, I can't remember if it's technically Portuguese or Dutch based Creole, but it's kind of like a mixture of Portuguese and Dutch and Spanish and, and uh, you know, and it's got other West African influence, uh, different things. You know, before I came, I was like, well, it'd be interesting to learn a little bit of that, but there's not really any resources online for that or anything. But even just since I've been here in the weeks that I've been here, you know, I haven't picked up a ton of it, but 
you know, I'm starting to get the, a feel for the language and I've picked up a few phrases. And, you know, so like, I know if I did want to come here to stay longer, like I could potentially learn more of the language. But also, I mean, one of the interesting things about, about uh, Curaçao is that the mix of cultures that are here. So even if you don't learn to talk them into, you can get around pretty well if you speak English or Spanish or Dutch. And it's funny, like you see like a strip mall driving down the street and there'll be signs on the stores in like five different languages. <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, from here, from a language thing, it's interesting. It's um, a, another neat thing about here that I hadn't realized is that, so this, even though I've been to many different Caribbean islands, this is the first one that is not strictly Latin America. And so there is something uh, like emboldened to realize that the languages that I have learned have given me enough of a basis that even if I don't understand the language that others are speaking, I can kind of get the general gist. And that's like really empowering to realize because it makes me believe that that would be the case for most countries I would travel to it. Yeah. Honestly, it's been great to hear all these insights you two have been having since arriving in Curaçao. Now, let's shift gears. Now, for those of you entrepreneurs who may be thinking about perhaps traveling to Curaçao, I also asked Ash and Maritza to tell us about three highlights from their trip that you might also want to explore and experience yourself. But before we even get into that, it might be worth mentioning that this show is sponsored by Delve Travel, which is an elite boutique travel agency that serves entrepreneurs with luxury wellness travel experiences that can be customized to your particular entrepreneurial goals and pursuits. Delve Travel also specializes in retreat planning and retreat management. So if you are an entrepreneur, coach, consultant, author who wants to put together an exciting destination event, whether it is a retreat, a mastermind, a VIP day to really wow and serve your clients with all of the power of travel, definitely be sure to check out Delve Travel at delvetravel.com. Now, three things about Curaçao. All right, what's number one? One thing that we did, this was uh, Maritza's suggestion because this is kind of a thing that she does in any place that she visits, the uh, liqueur distillery tour. And here they have you know, a distinctive liqueur that's only made here in Curaçao. It's and it's named after the island. So it's, and usually people encounter it, they think of blue curacao mm -hmm. and it's usually used in, uh, you know, different cocktails and things uh, to add color. But it's, a, it's an interesting kind of citrus based liqueur. And the history of it is actually Badass. pretty awesome. There was a, a, a Jewish family that, you know, colonized here, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago. In Spain, and well, actually it was hundreds of years ago when they originally came, like the 1600s or something. And um, and so originally they were trying to import like Valencia oranges or something to see if they would grow here on the island. But the soil, you know, was too rocky, the climate was too arid. 
So the trees grew, but the fruit that they produced was nothing like the original Valencia oranges. It was like a, a you know, very small green fruit, uh, and the so fruit bitter. was just so bitter. You know, you you can't eat it. Um, but they spent decades like trying to figure out something to do with this. <laughs> And they figured out if they actually, you know, discarded the fruit and just used the rind, they could make an extract from the rind that they could, you know, ferment and turn into this citrusy sort of liqueur. 30 years it took them of trial wow. and of trying. And mm -hmm. so the, the entrepreneurial spirit to me is like fascinating. It's mm -hmm. like it's an amazing story for that reason. Yeah. And and then the, you know, and you do the, the distillery tour and they walk you through the whole process of what it actually takes to, um, you know, produce a bottle of this from, you know, from growing the fruit to, you know, the harvesting and, and uh, you know, the other ingredients, how they have to mix it and distill it. And their bottles, they patent it. Yeah, and how they color it and all of the, all of the things. Um, and so there are actually a lot more varieties besides just the blue one that they, that you're familiar with. It comes in, in several different colors, but also they have different uh, flavor varieties. You can get uh, like a coffee flavored one or chocolate or, or they have the, the tamarind or uh, what was the other one? A rum raisin. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, chocolate. Yeah. So we did the tour and, you know, like the, the tour that we did came with, you know, a couple of cocktails that we got to try. So we, we tried a few different ones and so that was really, really fun. And I always suggest to people when they're going to any type of an older place, um, specifically, you know, not necessarily an island, but any any country, any any country they go to, I usually recommend find an old distillery and do a distillery tour if they have one. And the reason why is because that is a it's a it's a very different way to get a unique history of the country. I mean, I guess it could be argued that the possibility exists. I'm a lush. But honestly, it really is a very unique way to, to get a different type of history that is not the canned storybook history that you find in textbooks. Yeah, and you learn more about the culture, you know, like, so the family that started this original Blue Curacao distillery, um, the Senor family, they're also, they built the first Jewish synagogue here, which is now the oldest continually operating synagogue in the Western Hemisphere. And I believe they actually have a, like a tour you can do of that as well. It's kind of like a museum right. as well, uh, which we didn't get to do yet. So you learn interesting things about the history and the culture here. And, and also, you know, you learn things that are potentially useful, you know, when you're, if you're just going to, if you're at this bar back in the States and you want a drink that has blue put us out in it, you can make sure you're getting the authentic thing because like there are other kind of knockoff brands and they're not as good because we tried some of those too. <laughs> and uh, so you actually learn about the differences between those things and that can be helpful. <laughs> I absolutely see why that makes so much sense, Maritza's suggestion to check out the distillery because so one on the first hand, we know for most of human history, refrigeration was not a technological option. So cultures everywhere had to rely on alcohol just in order to survive and have food. And then alcohol is a really interesting way to think about the intersection of the natural landscape what was actually available in that particular place that could be fermented and turned into alcohol in combination with the culture with the people who had to figure out how they were going to take what was there in nature and as marissa was suggesting with their entrepreneurial spirit and transform that and then a whole history of once somebody figured that out most of these i think as you're pointing out have have a tradition, have a culture, have a long history to it now. So I think that's absolutely fascinating. I am definitely going to do that now. 
every time I go someplace. If not distillery, another is um, either distillery or um, tobacco or coffee beans. Like, yeah, like find a, um, what, what a plantain style of place. If, you, if they don't have a distillery, um, usually older places will have some kind of something, like you said, what they, the resource that existed years and years ago. I love it. All right, what's number two? If you want to immigrate here as like an entrepreneur or something, it's actually very easy to do that as the US citizen because there was, uh, from decades ago, there was what's called the what, Dutch American Friendship Pact or Treaty or something like that, that makes it very easy for American citizens to immigrate to the Netherlands. But in recent years, the, the High Court over the Dutch Caribbean ruled that that treaty applies to all of these Dutch Caribbean islands that are still part of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. So if you want to immigrate to Curaçao, uh, it's actually very easy to do. If you want to come here as, you know, not just as a digital nomad, but, you know, like seeking entrepreneurial opportunities, like this is potentially a great place to come to, you know, even to, to live for a, a part of the time. We had come across a real estate um, place that was closed, but had like all these properties for sale and for rent. They had just a bunch of, um, like it was kind of like a thumbboard with all these like pictures and stacks on these places. And the neat thing here was that um, you look at some of the prices, some of the prices were really high, but some of them were not as high. And you know, that's all relative, depending on your, your situation and your um, savings. But the, the, the interesting fact is that most of them had, it was like a house plus an apartment. So if you buy a house cash here, not you don't even have to buy cash. I'm sure you could probably do it as investment. But the, the thing is, if you are somebody who's already an entrepreneur and you have a busy in the States, this is a fantastic opportunity to have a place to get away to relax that's still earning you income when you're not here. So it comes with a rental, like most of the houses we're looking at basically come with a rental property already attached. <laughs> right. And it even tell you approximately how much you could get in that area per month. Yeah. And there's just, there's lots of beautiful places for sale or for rent here and we're seeing a lot of construction there's a lot of new builds yeah but the prices are still you know relatively low but it's definitely it's like a growth market so like if you wanted to come here there's definitely would be business opportunities and right looking at the prices and such i was kind of ash you know right now i could theoretically sell my house in the united states and have enough equity to buy space here cash. And quite a bit left over. It's quite a bit left over, yeah. It's really reasonable over here. And the place you bought here would already look like an investment property that bring yes, in, would be bringing right. in would be income. bringing so. in income right away. Just really, I think that's extremely enticing to somebody who has an entrepreneurial spirit, or even not, even if you're somebody who, if say for example, if you're writing a book, if, you, if you're writing a book, and that means you need you have to appropriate your time differently, which means you need to manage to find a way to bring in income that's passive. And this allows you the perfect opportunity to bring in more passive income, which I think is, it, it should be enticing to anyone with a little bit of a savings. Even if you don't want to, you know, have a local business here, 
they have what's called the economic free zone where they're they're trying to encourage entrepreneurs from you know from abroad you know international businesses to locate here so they have this economic free zone where if you have a business based in it that I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it's like at least 80% of your business is, or eight, somewhere in the, like 80 to 90% of your business range is uh, international. It's basically tax-free. So that that is definitely enticing from a, from a business opportunity perspective. All right, so are we on to number three then? Something that's been fun for me is seeing um, Ash introduced to like, almost alien foods to him. Yeah, like lots of different kinds of cuisines. Like the unique mixture of cuisines that they have here. Um, yeah, there were definitely lots of kinds of foods here that were, you know, totally different from anything I've ever had before. And it's not that, you know, like in the U.S. now, in, in any major city in the U.S., you can get lots of different cuisines from, from all over the world. But this place definitely has a unique flavor. A lot of the um, restaurants offer four different types of cuisine at a time, which is really interesting, almost everywhere. And I think that that's, you know, to, to generalize that concept a little more, it's the, while these different foods are potentially available in the United States, there's something about being home that makes you get into a habit of eating those things which you know, and you may occasionally go and explore something more different. But when you're in a country where it's all different, you're more inclined to try something and it, it changes you. It's like even something so small as trying different foods broadens your horizons and your perspectives from, and it, and it shakes you out of a habit. Like I think we get so stuck in habits and it's so pervasive. We don't even realize that we're in a habit and like, our day-to-day -day is a habit. So even even something so small and simple as being in a country like Curaçao and trying, you know, something you've never heard of food-wise, it it's enough of a change and it shakes you out of your habit that it forces you to be more present and more aware. And I really feel like that leads to you guys' concept of flow and how you, you know, it, it instills in you an awareness that you wouldn't have had if you were home. Yeah, I mean, it's like novelty is a flow trigger, right? And, you know, trying some kind of food you've never had before, like that's, it's kind of hard to eat something completely new that you've never had and not be really in the moment while you're doing that. Be distracted by, you know, your phone or something else. So tell me about one of these dishes. I don't know, so there was a restaurant we went to in Kunda a few nights ago that was really good, or there was a place that we went for lunch after the museum. We had the banana soup for the banana soup for you. I love your your, your yeah. reaction to banana soup was great. Yeah, so, so when, they say, when, when they say banana soup, they actually mean plantain soup. Yeah. So and it's it's um the one we had is traditionally Cuban um it's a it's a Cuban but recipe but it's been um adopted by Venezuela, um Chile, Puerto Rico. There's they all have a version of a banana soup. We don't all call it banana soup, but it actually it's a plantain soup. Um also now i don't know exactly how the one that we had was made but it had um in the flavors it's like so it's made with you it's puree of planting and different spices and in this one that we had they had different uh, 
I could taste cardamom. There was definitely cumin in it. And, and a little bit of a chile, but not at all spicy. Um, and then on top, it has a very thin fried plantain chips and a, like a crusty, like a crostini of garlic. It was really amazing. <laughs> and if we're talking specifically about Americans, you know, a plantain is not necessarily something you find in, um, indigenous to the United States. And a lot of Americans aren't really familiar with the different, the so many different varieties of banana, the genus of yeah. banana that exists. And I find it, you know, it's a little amusing to me because we really do have so many. So in Puerto Rico, the same banana soup is made not just with plantain, but it's made with like something we call green banana, green bananas, but it's not a green banana that you would think of. It's not like an unripe banana. This is actually a green banana that never turns yellow and it's actually raw in the inside. It must be cooked. So it's a dual puree of that with the um, plantains. And that's how we make our banana soup. And it's brown because plantain looks up brown. And and it's all the different seasonings. We wouldn't use cardamom. So yesterday's was really unique to me, even though I'm familiar with banana soup, I have never had a banana soup that uses cardamom and it just lends it a different flavor. So it's, it's, it's neat and, and it's kind of like Ash said, it, it forces you in that moment to realize that you're on, you know, a different land. Now it is time for what is perhaps my favorite segment that we are going to bring to these A Trip That Changed Me episodes. This is a segment that I like to call the five whys of travel. You might be familiar with this concept of the five whys from root cause analysis, but I believe we can gain valuable insights from bringing this exploration to our travel motivations. So sit back and let's explore the destinations that both Ash and Maritza want to travel to next and go deep with why they want to go there. Okay, so Ash first. So Galapagos. Why the Galapagos? Yeah, so so I, I kind of briefly mentioned earlier the you know, initial purpose for this trip was to work on this book that I'm writing and this book on evolutionary theory called, tentatively called, On the Destiny of Species, How Evolution Evolves. And, you know, I'm not not uh, strictly retracing, you know, Darwin's journey on the voyage of the Beagle, but kind of like in in a, in a loose way, I'm, I'm some, a lot of my travel destinations are, have to do with either, you know, kind of exploring biodiversity and diversity in general, as well as uh, places that have historical significance in the history of, of biology. And anyway, but so obviously the Galapagos Islands is one of, if not the most significant places to go for that. Uh, it's basically, you know, you can think of it as like the birthplace of history of evolution by natural selection, because it was you know, one of the major stops on, on Darwin's Beagle Voyage that really inspired his his later evolutionary thinking. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that kind of the, the primary, like initial, I guess, surface level reason for, for why I'm going to the Galapagos. So why are you so interested 
interested in evolution, so interested that you want to spend time writing a book about it. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> I got deep fast. <laughs> I mean, that's where you went. Yeah, I mean, I've always had this, you know, since, like, since I was a teenager, I've always had, you know, kind of an amateur interest in, in biology in general and evolutionary biology, evolutionary theory in particular. I, I guess it's just, to me, it's one of the most important frameworks for understanding natural worlds. And yeah, and that's just something I, I'm really interested in exploring and learning about how life operates and functions like the principles that underlie the development of life and like where we came from and, and then you know hopefully the book I'm working on where we're going. So why is it so important to have a framework for the natural world and for life? I think if you understand um, principles that underlie biology, those same principles are really necessary for understanding kind of all the higher levels of adaptation that you know are kind of more directly relevant to to how you live your life in terms of you have to understand evolutionary biology to understand you know our, our neurology like all contemporary neuroscience is really founded on, on those evolutionary ideas and you know now psychology which is a relatively young science we've been around for about a century or so um, but now in the last couple of decades, especially with new imaging technology and everything, that's really being integrated with the neuroscience. So now there's this kind of new field, relatively young field of neuropsychology. And a lot of what we understand about how to understand human behavior and how to, you know, like the things that we were talking about with flow, a lot of that is really based on this neuropsychology that's based on these evolutionary ways of understanding the world. So I think understanding that helps you learn better how to you know, understand your own motivations and, and hopefully be able to adapt your behavior in ways that make your own life more fulfilling. And can you say something about the difference it's made to you? Have you uncovered more about your motivations and learned things about how to make your life more fulfilling? That's, that's a really big subject, but um, yeah, I could probably give a couple examples. From an evolutionary perspective, you know, one, one major theme of that, you know, if you read somebody or listen to the courses by somebody like uh, Robert Sapolsky, who's a neuroendocrinologist at Stanford, who wrote this book, Behave, probably his most well-known major book. Um, but one of his, the major themes of his work is kind of the, the variability at different levels of evolutionary development. And so including like, Things like variation in, you know, the number of different neurochemical receptors in the brain between different individuals, and uh, how that affects personality, and things like, you know, something that I learned myself on this trip here in Curacao. So, well, I've been here. I got my first tattoo <laughs> because I happened to to stay with someone who turned out to be uh, an artist and also a tattoo artist, a designer and artist. And so while we were doing this tattoo, you know, she was very impressed by my level of pain tolerance. <laughs> that actually made me think about like, like what, what does that tell me about myself? And it, it really, sorry, there's another crying child behind us here. <laughs> is, that, uh, is that too loud? I think it's in in a, in a sense it's almost kind of perfect because we're talking about pain tolerance. <laughs> True. All right. So, but it, you know, it made me think. 
and I don't know how much of this was kind of like natural genetic vari variability or whatever, but definitely in terms of how my nervous system is adapted to, you know, like over the course of chronic health issues that I mentioned that I had for, for much of my adult life, I'm relatively insensitive to a lot of stimuli. And that I think actually is part of the issues that I'm trying to deal with as I'm traveling in terms of like my motivation and things. Like I need more stimulus to get the same the same level of you know like neurotransmitter response at, at a neuro uh, at a neurological level so like being aware of things like that i think can actually help you understand more about your own behavior and motivations and hopefully figure out how to manage them better <laughs> so, so that, that's just something that i've been thinking about while i've been here so i don't know if that that example kind of helps uh, address your question no that's amazing all right, should we switch to Maritza then? Okay. All right, so you're going to go to Puerto Rico. So why Puerto Rico? So I'm traveling in two weeks with a group of friends, uh, a group of friends I've known since elementary school, and we, we travel a couple of places. Four of us are from a, well, five actually, five of us are from a background of Puerto Rico. And so Puerto Rico is, you know, it's, the, it's my home country, homeland, right? in my family and I'm raised here in the States, but Puerto Rico is home. And I am from a tiny little town that is a little northwest of Ponce. And so even when I would go as a child to Puerto Rico, we never went to San Juan. I've never been to the capital of Puerto Rico. There was no need. So this trip here in a couple of weeks will be my first time visiting the capital of my uh, homeland. So that's exciting for me. So why is it so important to get to visit the, the capital of your homeland and, and to do it with your childhood friends? Does, does that really make a difference? Is that part of um, the trip, part of the experience? Maybe. Uh, yes and no. I mean, this is, you know, this is my usual travel crew. We, we usually travel together to different places, but, um, you know, okay, I would have So then why? Let's go with then why is it so important to finally see San Juan, the capital of, of your home location? I, I have now, especially after this trip, haven't been to so many other lands for the purpose of it's so, I actually really do get so many people who are so incredulous that I haven't been to the capital yet. It's kind of um, amusing. For me, it's the, the chance to do something in my home country that I have done in other countries. It's just that, you know, to explore, to to go to the distillery there, to go on a cultural tour in Puerto Rico. So I'm, I said the city center, but this is actually my first time, it will be my first time ever going to Puerto Rico as a tourist or as a visitor. I've always ever only gone as somebody going home to family. So that that's, I think that that's, I mean, it's really something that everybody should do at some point is to try to view their, you know, even a place that you have family, try to view it as a visitor. Maybe like a new perspective yes. on your own. Yes. So say more about that. Why go visit your home location through the eyes of a tourist, through the eyes of a visitor? Because what do you hope you'll get from it? there's a couple things that I've never seen because when you just live there you kind of like eh, it's there I can go whenever and then whenever and ever comes yes but when you when you go with the the mind 
full intention to visit these certain places. Like we have a rainforest in Puerto Rico that I've never been to. And it's like, but it's a rainforest on an island. How absolutely bizarre is that? So it's a, I'm gonna go see the rainforest. And it's, that's important to me because these are all little pieces of what makes the island the island. And I think that it will help provide a deeper understanding of my ancestry in some way. And why pursue this deeper understanding of your ancestry? What do you hope you'll get from that? I mean, I think that getting to know any land on a deeper level is a path towards growth. For it to be a land that your family considers home generation upon generation, I think there's something special there. It's it's part of what makes you and you know, I mean so for example, you know, I say constantly, you know, I am of Taino heritage. But going and walking in the footpaths of Tainos who lived in days old is going to give me a different perspective that I just can't get without visiting and walking those paths. As, as Alex Haley reminds us, our roots shape who we are. For sure. It's time now soon to say goodbye. But before we go, I did ask Maritza and Ash to share any final thoughts, especially for those of you who might be considering incorporating travel into your new work life and maybe even visiting Curaçao as part of your new travel adventures. I have one thing I do want to say. Think that for someone to whom traveling abroad and trying to not be a tourist, and you know you're you're visiting right you're a visitor and you might happen to be working while visiting this other country i think it's important to forgive yourself for not being able to stick to that list that you had prepared <laughs> yeah that um, that does bring up another thing though that might might be uh, worth noting which is we talked about kind of traveling as a visitor rather than as a tourist. Um, it's sort of a different mindset and, um, you know, there are different ways to approach that. But I think, you know, one thing that I've been doing rather than, you know, just kind of like staying at the main tourist hotels on the beaches or things like that, you know, you can use platforms like Airbnb or Couchsurfing to really kind of stay with the locals and get to know some of the people who actually live here and that aren't, you know, just necessarily catering, catering to that sort of tourist market and, you know, really get to know the, just the local way of life and uh, kind of appreciate it at a deeper level than you might if you were just sticking to the main tourist uh, destinations. So I, I think that is a way of even deepening your, your travel experience, uh, you know, to, to another level. I just want to point out the fact that we are sitting here and we've had an hour plus long discussion with you on a beach in a different country from yours with no electricity and with free Wi-Fi and we only got cut off once. Imagine if you were working on something for your job, you would have had an hour of uninterrupted computer time. 
while sitting on a beach in a foreign country. Yeah, this would be a nice place to work from. <laughs> mm -hmm. So tell me just exactly where you are. We're sitting on a place called Mambo Beach, Mambo Beach Boulevard, um, which is on the eastern side of Curacao, it's like on the, the southeastern coast of Curacao. Uh, it's just to the just a little bit to the east of uh, kind of the main city center of Willemstad, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's, it's just a really beautiful area. This is kind of one of the more touristy beaches, so it's uh, it's a lot more kind of artificial in a way, I guess. Like they built like this little harbor of rocks to keep the the big waves from from getting in too much to the close area where you can go out and swim and play. But it's just, you know, it's amazing. They've got like these chairs set up and little, like the mission before, kind of like little almost grass hut kind of umbrella looking things for shade. And, you know, there's like waitresses that walk around and ask, you know, beast to drink in and <laughs> if you want anything to drink. And, yeah. We must yeah, look too busy. Bothered. Nobody's bothered, bothered us. But when I was here the other day, they were doing that. And so it's just, you know, it's really, really beautiful. Very kid friendly. Yeah, the sun is out and the, the, there's just a gentle breeze to, to keep it from feeling too hot in the shade and it's just uh, really lovely. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit DelveTravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.